Welcome to Female Fear Factory, the podcast. A space where people share the experience with fear inherited from the systems designed to keep certain people from stepping into the joy of their personhood. On this podcast, you will hear about when fear has hurt and when community is healed. The Female Fear Factory is a performance of patriarchal policing of and violence towards women and others cast female who are therefore considered safe to violate. The first thing that comes to my mind is the simple question, why is there this performance of violence? Uh, Why does the patriarchal society that we live in foster this kind of culture? And why would we rather not structure society in a different way where we can live mutually? because we know that this is how our societies function, um, where there is this performance of of potential violence. But it is really important to ask the question why, I think that is what comes to mind for me. And the answer that then follows is that, I think we have back to the drawing board of sorts. It's as though we have, uh, you know, we've created these cultures in which men are conditioned to have certain characteristics and women are conditioned to have another set of characteristics. And the moment that those uh, start to become disrupted, because naturally they do, because humans are more complex than just the kind of binary, rigid way of behavioral patterns. And so the moment that men start to act in ways that are outside of the box of conventional masculine behavior and, and women outside of the box of feminine behavior, What then emerges is precisely fear. Um, So the title of this book is so relevant, The Female Fear Factory, because people don't want a disruption to their their culture, their social structure. And so one of the things that um, I think answers this important question of why is, is looking at what are the characteristics that we appropriate with maleness and with femaleness. So for example, we have created a culture in which we view aggression as masculine. And so what happens then is that if women, for instance, feel aggression, which of course we do because we're human and all humans feel aggression at some point, um, but then we are said to be behaving uh, like men or behaving like bitches or whatever, you know, whatever word is used to attack us. Um, And so we see from the very legwork of human society that the way that we are boxed into rigid binaries, rigid ways of characterization creates, firstly, fear of disruption. And in order to contain that fear, this performance of violation is created. It wasn't a specific incident that made me realize that I um, was safe to violate and quotation marks rather it was it was sort of a deep awareness a deep space awareness that i was living in a world in a society in which because of my being a girl because this is something that i i'm speaking of a space awareness uh, that was present already in my life uh, in childhood Um, and so i had this this awareness of it um, from a very young age. And I can't describe it by any particular incident, rather it was the entire culture that surrounded me. I knew somehow that the culture was one in which girls and women were so-called safe to violate. And I knew it because, you know, as a child, I obviously wouldn't have had the language to articulate it in this way, but I knew it through the 
cultural dynamic of what I was told to behave like, what I was told to do. And part of that manifested already through play. Um, so when we think of, or when I would more, more concretely, not even as an abstract thing, um, when I was playing, and especially when we had uh, play with girls and boys, um, there was already this pattern of boys being the ones who were unruly or aggressive or you know the boys would chase the girls the boys would kind of set the rules of what the play looked like and we as girls were already somehow aware that there was a risk involved um, and that we had to we had to mitigate that risk by altering our behavior and that meant that either we had to sort of be more caring and compassionate than maybe we wanted to be in the moment of play or we had to we had to ramp up our sense of agency somehow and put our foots down, um, our feet rather down, um, as uh, already as little girls. So somehow through this culture and through things like play and education, I just was aware that boys were not receiving the same cultural education that I was receiving as a girl. They were already being somehow taught to be the more dominant and the more powerful sex. I would say that my my self-policing was always twofold um, because as much as I, as a child, already was aware of the gendered education that I was receiving, um, I was also uh, already aware of my feminism. So when I go back to my earliest childhood memories, my, my desires and fears and preoccupations as a child, they were already of a kind of feminist nature. So this made my existence in a sense, uh, kind of there was a dissonance there because on the one hand, I was indeed starting to self-police because that was the entire culture. Um, you know, you, you, it's just what you did and you had to do in order to, to so-called be safe. And then on the other hand, I was also already aware of how wrong that was. So that made it really complicated. Uh, you know, when I think back uh, to my childhood uh, and, and to how already there was the pain and the trauma that comes from living in a patriarchal society as a female identified person. Yes, I would say that it has shifted in a major way, actually, because what happened as a child, this kind of dissonance that I'm speaking of, it meant that I was never quite in the present. I was always a child who kind of daydreamed a lot and and my my daydreams were about escaping in a sense. This makes it sound like I had a really terrible childhood, which I didn't. Um, you know, in many ways, it was a very joyful one, but I uh, and even the kind of escaping tactics of daydreaming gave me a lot of pleasure because what I would daydream about was this future when I would be this liberated woman who was, you know, I didn't, uh, obviously I couldn't quite articulate it, but there was that sense that I would, I would liberate myself from uh, whatever constraints I was aware of in my surrounding. And basically uh, what that, what I'm getting at is that I wasn't able to be fully present because of this feeling of needing to escape. Whereas in my life today, as an adult, uh, as the kind of woman, if not the completely liberated woman, then at least one who has been on that journey for a long time, what I am is present, especially present. It is even, I would say, my job to be present, to, to, to observe and to be able to articulate actual reality rather than a kind of escapist 
dream, which is not to say that I, you know, I think so much of feminist work is also about dreaming and, and imagining alternative futures um, in which women and men can thrive. But I certainly, uh, you know, looking back at the journey that I've been on um, in the past 44 years can see that I am present today in a way that I, I wasn't quite able to be as a child. And of course, I should add that that presence, you know, it comes with a certain uh, suffering. It's it's not the more you you awaken to reality, to the patriarchal reality, the more frustrated and angry and painful it becomes, right? Um, but it also provides more avenues uh, to, to exit um, and to actually escape rather than to dream of escaping it. Well, look, I take all of the same precautions that I imagine that, you know, all women do. Just yesterday I was out in the evening and I decided that I wanted to walk back home, even though it was quite a long walk. Um, and it was just at that hour when it was starting to get dark. And I noticed how I automatically turned away from the park, even though that would be the route that I would prefer to walk through because it's beautiful. Um, but without even thinking about it, my body seemed to just like intuitively take the longer route. And because I noticed that, you know, so speaking of presence, because I, I noticed it, I thought to myself, no, I'm not going to take the longer route. I'm going to walk through the park. And so I did that. But, you know, I had that just that that awareness that there is always that risk, however small it might be. Um, and I do things like, you know, if, if a man is standing in front of my house or even just walking past, when I arrive at my door, I'll wait a little bit or walk a bit further before entering. I, uh, what else do I do? I avoid looking passersby who are male um, in the eyes, just because we know that, you know, catcalling can happen. And then if you don't respond, then there's aggression. So I do all of these things that all women do um, and more. And yet, I guess I carve out spaces for myself in which I can escape that reality again. Um, I mean, primarily through the work that I do. So working as a feminist and writing feminist work and reading other feminist work. This for me is the primary way of carving out my my safe space because it it is the tool through which I come again, I keep emphasizing it, but I come to this place of presence, of awareness, of perceiving reality. And ultimately the, the space um, in which I feel the most safe is in the space of acceptance. Um, so using the sort of feminist toolkit to become aware of reality, I'm then able to accept reality um, which means, uh, you know, accepting reality means that I'm able to fight it um, from a position of more clarity, um, of deeper understanding and a kind of deep sense of resistance. So in acceptance, I find both my safe space, but also my, my place of struggle and resistance. I am Mina Salami. I'm a writer and a blogger. And this has been my female fear factory story. <laughs>